Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, I'm Dennis Funk, and you are listening to the Third Coast Pocket Conference, where your next great story begins. On this episode, we're doing something a little different and bringing you a session that comes from a land down under, presented at the 2017 Audiocraft Conference in Sydney, Australia. If you're into what you hear on this episode, you can subscribe to the Audiocraft podcast for more sessions immediately after listening to this. Okay, so this talk features Jesse Cox and Belinda Lopez, who are part of the production team behind the ABC Radio National podcast, This Is About. It's a show that digs deep into issues that matter and tells stories of all the beautiful, awkward and messy stuff that happens to people. Through sharing their favourite works and techniques, Belinda and Jesse touch on how to produce compelling narratives through careful story pacing, structure and sound. They also dive into what a good pitch looks like. Okay, from Audiocraft 2017, here is Under the Hood. So we're going to do what we don't do with the story and just give you a very quick outline of what to expect for this session. Um, We want to go into some quite nitty-gritty detail in terms of how we're finding stories, um, how we're scaffolding stories, what we then do in the field to make sure we get all that tape, and then how we're further interrogating um, that form back in the edit suite. And then it's leave our dirty laundry. Total dirty laundry. Like I'm quite. I feel quite vulnerable. <laughs> um, uh, and we're going to leave lots of room for questions. But you need to give us a few minutes up top um, to let us have a little bit of waffle um, to give you a little bit of setup about um, how we started the show, what we want to try and get out of it, and and really, I guess, um, the goals we wanted to have from creating this is about, um, which then I guess lead to all the production processes we implemented. Um, so really, uh, a big reason this is about um, was possible is uh, Belinda was in the jungle in Indonesia. No, a, a village. A, vi- a village in Indonesia. I basically knew Belinda was doing her PhD and was deep in a jungle village in Indonesia. Um, it was about the time that we were wanting to pivot uh, an existing show. I was working on more into the digital space and more into kind of a, a, a clearer focus around narrative storytelling. And uh, we realised that um, Belinda would be key to that. And so I, I reached out and I was like, hey, um, are you in the country? If not, when are you coming back? Uh, if I can find some money, um, can you come work on this thing? Um, and very luckily, Belinda was on her way back shortly and uh, said... Yeah, well, I got... <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. That's all true. He's not lying. But I got that email... And it was basically like, would you want to work on this, you know, amazing narrative podcast that kind of prioritizes and like puts people's own personal stories up front? Um, and I want you to do it. I choose you. And and I was like, whoa. Because that day I'd had like I'd eaten this really bad satay thing. It was like not going well for me at all. And I get this email and I'm like, I look at the date and it's April 1st. And I'm like, he wouldn't be that, that. <laughs> he wouldn't be that mean, would he? But yeah, anyway, it was true. It was true. And I said yes. Which was really, really great. <laughs> um, and we, the key other thing is we gave ourselves a, a bunch of time for development, which was really key. And I, I guess the, the pitch on paper um, to then what episode one was to what episode 15 was last week um, has evolved. Um, I guess the, the key principles we wanted to put at the front of the story and then really did inform the production process is, is we, we really wanted our process to be around um, 
putting people's story first. Initially, we thought this might be more kind of where we celebrate that quirky hero um, narrator, not so much the the disconnected reporter, but someone who was really invested, you know, invested in the story. We threw around kind of Starly Kynes, mystery show kind of um, quirks. Errol Morris. We also kind of this idea of yeah, Errol Morris and that off off the off camera producer. Um, and also a, a space where there could essentially be almost non-narrated storytelling. Um, I guess the common theme with all of that was kind of an initial desire to take both of us out of that process and, and find um, people who were connected to those stories, either through their own lived experience or through um, a, a direct line to the person who had lived the experience. Um, obviously, it changed quite a bit and, and is still an evolving space, but they've kind of been the core principles about it. We really did kind of look to look for story first, and we knew we wanted to cast a really charismatic host. We knew we wanted to find a woman to be that. And so we did a bunch of casting around that and had some really great chats with Jordan Raskopoulos and was really thrilled when she came on board to sort of present the show. So I guess going into it, we, we knew we wanted to um, yeah, be putting story at the centre. We knew someone who wanted to, who was known for personal story themselves and, and was willing to kind of put themselves um, out there, who had a really great writing presentation style. Um, that was kind of... Found the foundation blocks of how we just went about starting to create the show um, and the kind of stories we then started looking for. Yeah, I, and I guess once we decided that we were putting these people's stories front and centre and uh, we were taking our... There was going to be no sense of, you know, the reporter in the field. It was these people telling their own stories. I guess the process that we uncovered and what we'll try and talk about today is how do you w work with a person who is opening themselves up, um, make sure that it's a really engaging story from our end and what do you have to do to, to get that story? Um, and we uh, broke our own rules pretty much every episode, um, <laughs> which is totally cool. Uh, but I guess it was kind of, I guess, the process where we then um, started developing these techniques. So the, the thing that we first started discovering is that, and, and it's something I think we've, we're both really happy to do is go down false trails. Like, you know, we'll go and investigate stuff and be like, oh, it's not a story. Um, and also put in a lot of time before we even press record. So really get to know this person. Um, you can call it a pre-interview, it's like, but it's really bonding in a way. It's, and, and, and in doing that, uh, it has led us down narrative paths that are not the most obvious when you first meet that person. Um, and we, we can probably play a bit of tape. This is from a, an episode called The Fixer. And on the face of it, it's about this woman called Mel Holman. And she is, uh, she likes the creation of babies. I don't know how else to put it. Like she's, she, was, she holds the unofficial world record for the amount of eggs donated or surrogate babies right. created. Yeah. So she's like super hooked into the surrogate community online, which is a thing. Um, and and it, it was a crazy story, like just how many babies she had, you know, facilitated, I guess. Um, so we thought we'd tell this story of all the women that she'd come into contact with. And she had some interesting individual stories along the way. It seemed like a clear narrative arc. It seemed like that was going to be the story we did. Actually, it ended up only being the first you know, like 30 minutes of uh, 30 seconds of tape. And this is what we got out of what we thought would be the whole narrative arc. Uh, there was Leslie, uh, Robin, Patria. I'm at the moment the living world record holder for amount of children born by a... There was Angela, egg donation and surrogacy. I should clarify that record is unofficial. Please, someone from Guinness, get onto that. Just so many. Linda. Uh, 17 Linda, babies born by egg um, donation. Kelly. Yeah, 18. Well, actually, it's technically 19 because one of them is gestational. Linda. Uh, Mel. There was only one of me and so many of them, and the list seemed to get longer and longer. And there was such a huge shortage of egg donors. I couldn't help enough of them quick enough. So we're going to talk a little bit later on about um, the process of discovering an, another narrative within her story, um, but pre-interview is key. Uh, yeah. And I guess the key with this is kind of you'd done a bunch of research into this world um, with kind of another reporter, Hagar Cohen, who was working on a background briefing. Hagar had found this woman. Belinda had spent time on the phone. She'd read this unpublished manuscript. And through all that process, um, the second pivot, um, or the pivot really that the story became about, um, which we'll get to a little bit later, wasn't really discovered till like, what, two hours, 
three hours, you know, a day or two um, into that research of even talking with her. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, uh, the second thing we want to talk about is um, once you've done all this pre-interview and you've, you've gathered all this information, um, we do a really detailed scaffolding of that story before we even go into the field. Um, because uh, the research has been so in-depth, um, the producer is really able to develop a real rapport um, with the, the person whose story they're going to facilitate to tell. Not only does that help once you're on the ground that you feel heaps closer, um, which is really useful. Um, it also means that that we can essentially get our team together and go, okay, we think this is what the story is going to look like um, and really scaffold it. So we will break it down and um, Tim Roxborough very um, uh, kindly uh, let us share his uh, scaffolding for his story um, from the lesson, which we're going to show here. Uh, so uh, Tim had done a Basically, it's set out going, I want to find a story that is kind of looking, um, he really kind of dictated, I want to find a story that kind of looks like this. Um, through that process is then where he discovered Jeff Anderson. Um, did a whole bunch of kind of pre-interviews and and, um, and research and then pretty much kind of started to scaffold that story and would then workshop that um, with the, the other people on the team about how that could unfold. So before Tim even pressed record, before I got on the plane to go to Parks, he'd sort of, this is only page one of it really, he'd kind of said, here are the key beats that I think this story is evolving um, and this is what I need to make sure I'm getting in the interview um, and this is something you could keep referring to. Now, of course, uh, it deviated a little bit from this because, you know, there's always new things that you discover in the field, but... Um, we find that the scaffold that we put in um, stays pretty strong to kind of, I guess, the end story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always striking that balance because we're we're creating something that looks like a clear narrative arc, but we will go down false trails and we will totally smash that arc up if it's not reflecting. What we want to do is get to like the kernel of truth of human existence on a good day. Um, and so, <laughs> and so, yeah, like we will smash that scaffold apart if it's, if during the pre-interview it's something else is emerging and something more interesting is emerging. So, but people, interviewees, I think, like feeling like their own story is, um, being delivered in portions, it helps them make sense of what they have gone through. Because people don't often compartmentalize or think about their story in that much detail. What we do is provide the space to be like, okay, let's hone this in. And so then this happened. And they're like, oh, actually, it's like this. So they often appreciate the process as well. But that's not to say that like what I want to say is it's not predetermined. Like we don't mm. make this scaffold and then like this is the story we stick to and this is the only way it can be till the end. We are very open to change, but even having a structure structure that can be changed is incredibly useful, I think. And the other thing, um, and the reason we we try and be really hard on ourselves to go through these scaffolds, I must say, um, this is uh, the uh, probably the best scaffold we had. Tim did a very very yeah, good thanks, job. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of ours look more like that. <laughs> um, um, but the other reason is because um, we had conceived this program very much um, are about how we are taking the producer out of it unless they're really involved in the story themselves. Um, you need to make sure when you're in the field that you're getting all the information you need. Um, you need to know, well, if I'm going to be spending roughly, we think, that first five minutes or that first act setting up this part of the story, I don't have the luxury of coming back and doing that in the studio with script links. Um, so, I mean, we... Um, you know, have explored different ways where a producer voice can still come into it, but we still apply this essentially a same methodology as if we're trying to do it without anybody else except the, the, the person who's telling the story. Now, we have to break that rule a lot because we don't quite get everything or we need to contextualise things, but I guess, yeah, this is, this is as much about a checklist for what you need to get in the field. Um, and while we do it particularly extensively because we do a fair bit of non-narrated work, um, we really do apply this to even when we're intending to put a bit more script or a bit more presentation in there. And what a scaffold allows us to do, like Tim's is a perfect example. We knew because Tim had interviewed him so um, so in depth, we knew that there was a moment where um, this guy had agoraphobia. He couldn't leave his house. And by learning his own language he was able to start leaving the house slowly and we knew there he had this pattern that he followed that he would leave the house and kind of sing this Radri song to himself around the block because we knew that was definitely going to be a scene and we talk about it in scenes almost like a movie 
Tim had already thought about that. So he only had three days in the field. He was sure to like record the guy kind of whispering that song to himself under his breath, you know, and it's something that if we hadn't, if he hadn't done that much pre-interview and research, you wouldn't know about that scene, but because he'd kind of prepped it, we were able to collect that movie-like feeling that we love to put in the show. Yeah, um, in the scaffold before Tim rolls tape, he knows he's, he wants to, the scaffold before recording, Jeff on House Stan's classes helped him get better, walking the dog, singing a song as he walks around the block, Stan sings and teaches kookaburra sits. Um, and then he very successfully went and got all those parts, um, which meant that then could be cut together um, back in the studio. So we'll just play that little beat. No, I was trying to get around the walk around the block before Stan's classes, but sometimes I'd only get around the corner and I'd have to get back home. Um, because I just wasn't enjoying the world, you know. And then Stan just happened to come along and then I'm learning Cookaburra sits in the old gum tree. Then I'm, I'm walking around this corner and I've discovered that that was my comfort zone. Those words in that song were my comfort zone to get me out and around the corner. Cookaburra weepy on the mountain top. Get a get a bulk a bull. Bit of a cook I'd get the dog out. So then I could get round to the corner shop. I'd walk into the corner shop. And I'd untie the dog, then I'd start walking back with the paper. I could actually had something to concentrate on other than what was going to hurt me. So that's a kind of really good example of obviously then, you know, there's a lot of craft stuff there which Tim which Tim did to then get that scene. Um, you kind of also see essentially in this scaffold that a, a key bit about how we wanted to set up the story, we wanted this to be about a man who couldn't leave his house and we thought one of the big interesting reveals about this was um, the thing that eventually got him to leave um, was this discovery about his Indigenous language. And so we actually withheld the fact that he was an Indigenous man. And so a big important thing about that scaffolding was to ensure that, you know, Tim could get all those key beats to set that up and he could make sure that, that first pivot, that first reveal of that story was um, as interesting and, and gripping as possible. And we'll just play that, that pivot. Well, there was one day where... All the implosion of the world that I was living in, all of a sudden there was like a a door opened. I discovered my past, my past that was hidden from me deliberately for my own well-being. We knew we were, we knew we were Aboriginal, but it was just never really sort of, it was never discussed. So it's with that uh, reveal, it's not that we're trying to trick our listeners. We just want the listener to be locked in in a really visceral way to the experience of that person, to discover the story in the same way that they discovered the story. And so if we had told you up front that, you know, this language could mean so much to him and could be such a transformation. The the impact of that discovery, you're never going to feel it like he did. And that's what we want. We want our listeners to feel stories about ordinary people in the way they felt them. And, you know, like any, you know, person who works in, in documentary space or the podcast space, you know, talks about how, you know, you need your episodes or your stories to un- unfold with those classic narrative arcs um, when you're identifying a story, when you're pitching a story. We'll get to pitching it a little bit later. And really this is what all this kind of long pre-interview, this long scaffolding is. It's making sure that um, before we press record and before we start devoting those resources to gather the story, edit the story, um, that we have worked out how as a listener um, we will be continually surprised and, and want to keep listening, um, you know, in any kind of non-fiction writing, whether it's for audio, film or, or um, text, it's really important to kind of play with those, those kind of story principles, um, which probably segues quite well to this idea of then the second pivot, um, yeah. which you've kind of uh, are good on. Um, I'm good on the second pivot. <laughs> uh, so just to acknowledge up front, like we've been talking about narrative arcs and narrative, narrative, narrative like, we know that it's a little bit of a cliche now. Like everyone loves narrative and I kind of feel like, well, I liked it first. Like, you know, like before it got popular, like this is what I do. Um, 
we are trying when we try and do when we talk about narrative on this is about we want narrative as in like genuine real life like the gritty stuff that often has more than one angle to it so with the fixer um if we'd done this woman wanted to help women and then she helped all these women and it was happy and that's the end um that could have been a story and a story that people would listen to but it wasn't all of the story so in speaking to this woman in the many pre-interviews we did but in our lengthy discussions she talked about having been a victim of domestic violence and we just it was so interesting that this woman who had been all about helping other women and kind of cultivating a community that supported women's dreams had been living this experience by herself for most of the time and she said this line to me where she said yeah I guess I was interested in the pursuit of other people's happiness and I'm like what like you know, and I said it back to her. She's like, did I say that? I'm like, yeah, you just said that. And like, I think that's our purpose often is to give people a space to kind of articulate stuff that they hadn't thought of before. And we'll, we'll just play a little tape because I think I'm, I was about to say something that I think is in the tape. So we'll play the tape okay. first and then um, we'll keep talking a bit about about this kind of reveal and, and going deeper. So this is, um, you heard the beginning of the story, which is all very kind of upbeat. Hey, here's this woman popping it, you know, creating all these babies. We go down that path for a while. And then you kind of um, get this um, this a bit later on. I was so shocked. I just I couldn't believe that she could hide it like that um, because it, it kind of was like everything was perfect. At that stage, it had been 12 years of violence and it was our normal. At times, there's been past stigmas of women who are victims of domestic violence being stupid or low socioeconomic and and I was neither of those things I was you know employed I was educated and you know we, we just I <laughs> tried to sort of just get through it the best we could and try and minimize the damage and ultimately that fixer girl came right back in trying to I guess tr- just trying to fix things that it made me if I you know somehow I said something that he would possibly understand that he would realize what he had in his you know partner and children that he would somehow change his way and I, and I felt sorry for him you know he'd always had said that he had had a rough childhood I felt that that I was in some aspects the stronger one even though I was the weaker one so I mean it's a, a fairly hectic pivot, like a hectic reveal, but it's something that we try and think about for most of our stories is when you're thinking about that traditional narrative arc and you get to, you know, the beginning and like the, the tension, the conflict, something happens. Traditionally, it will sometimes finish, that story will finish, but we're always looking for that second pivot after the rise, just like, well, how does this spin again? What is what is the next take that actually deepens this story or makes it more authentic? And I remember kind of before you went to record, this was a, a quite quick um, deadline because we were doing this collaboration with Background Briefing and, and so we had to be moving on this a little bit quicker than maybe we would have moved on. And, and Belinda had done all this work at the pre-interview. She kind of realised that the initial story um, about this this surrogacy woman um, wasn't going to sustain she's like I don't know if it's a story I don't know if it's a story she ha- kind of had this sense of domestic violence and I remember you kind of talking about you know she's a she's a fixer like you know she's a fixer in um, in terms of linking up other women um, to help make babies and she's also a fixer in the domestic violence space because she's, she's trying to fix that and she identifies herself as a fixer so um, and the other thing that I remember you kind of being articulating and this is when we were like yep totally um totally a story um getting a plane tomorrow um, <laughs> um was when you also were articulating going you know this is essentially about women helping women and um that's kind of what the unifying themes were so for us you know why i think kind of we then decided to pursue this is our initial thought that this whole story about surrogacy we realized that's probably only sustains for a few minutes in terms of how we've done it but actually the themes of of that and the second pivot were actually interconnected and, and really were kind of very clearly about 
about her. And, you know, that also comes back to that scaffolding process because in, in your research and in our discussions and we constantly are talking um, within the team and, and bringing in fresh eyes and fresh ears to kind of interrogate that narrative, you kind of had identified in your scaffolding, yeah, she's a fixer. This is a story about women helping women and it pivots from here to here and, and it becomes, you know, then um, Teresa, who Mel helps through surrogacy, starts helping her through domestic violence. And, and so then the story taps into that broader narrative, um, you know, uh, issue-based uh, topics. But that is all coming through that, that pre-interview and that willingness to change tact in that process, the scaffolding, um, and then obviously uh, um, in the field, which totally segues to the next point, doesn't it? That was awesome. so smooth. Thank you I very much. I liked it. it well, smooth. unintentional. Um, you did so good job. we've been talking about a lot about um, a pretty exhaustive process before we turn on a microphone. Um, yeah, and then we're just getting started. It's like a reset. And it gets worse. It gets worse. Um, and then we do really, really long interviews. So long. Um, but we try and set up an expectation first about what, what's to be expected. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so long. It's like seven hours, nine hours. But you talk of, you, you mentioned something which is quite true, is you set up the expectation at the beginning. Like, and this, you, this is kind of what we do is go, this is going to be a long interview. Mm. Um, it's going to be you know four or five hours and we're going to probably do two of them like you set that expectation up and you have to do a lot of like care work with your interviews I don't want to pretend like I'm not pretending that I am the therapist I'm clearly not like it's clearly this is journalism we are recording but if it's different to news reporting. Like if you are demanding that much time of someone, seven, nine hours going into deep stuff and, dem- and, and requesting that they, they, you know, go into detail about it and tell it again a couple of times, then you practice care. Like, you know, do you want to like every second question is like, do you need a break? Do you want some water? Mm. You know, and you do set up that expectation up front as well. Yeah, and you know, and I think what's good is the rapport you've built through uh, through that before you meet them means when you hit the ground, you, you sort of do feel a connection, and you know, you get into that room, you make it, um, you know, you get the lighting right, you make sure there's water there, light the candles, um, and you, you give space. And I think a lot of the time, uh, what we're doing is it's a real mix of in the moment. Um, interrupting when the right moment is right to interrupt and ask them to slightly um, start again or, 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 you know, phrase it in a, in a context that will then help the edit. But other times it's just letting it roll for really extended periods of time and, and keeping a, a log in your head um, of all the pickups you need. And also um, we've very much built in recently, not just to a we might need a pick up to interview to we will always do at least a second interview. Yeah, and, just and, so you know, just yeah. so that before you – get on board with us you're aware mm. of you know this is going to take up some of your time and that also has allowed us to um know that the time between the first interview with the second interview we are kind of doing rough assembles and seeing stuff we've missed so you know i, I guess that's stuff we're trying to do in, in the moment always um we used to just do pick up interviews when we needed but actually we've decided what we've recently decided being like actually no we need to build that into a production process where we always allow for a second interview because um you know, while a lot of stories will not need to pick up interview, um, by building that into it, we, we can often um, go a bit deeper when need be. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the end of this session from Audiocraft 2017. You're listening to Chicago's Progressive Radio Adventures. This American life is my The show about all the unseen... Are you tired of endlessly searching for good radio stories? Or maybe feeling overwhelmed by the amount of podcasts filling up your feed? This is Radio Lab. I'm Jad Abumran. Well, worry no more, because Third Coast has you covered. I'm Gwen Maxi, host of Third Coast's podcast, ReSound. ReSound is a themed, hour-long mix of the best in radio and podcasting from the past and present. We've been carefully curating nothing but the best stories from around the world since 2004, and we have a treasure trove of amazing audio. Each episode is bound to have something to fit every listener's individual taste. Personal stories, essays, sound art, mystery stories that twist and turn, and other audio experiments. (laughs) 
So stop searching. Subscribe to ReSound today and treat yourself to the finest stories ever told in sound. Your ears will thank us. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Practically, when you're in the field, um, you've made, the, made it feel nice. Everyone's feeling good. You're going deep, you're being sympathetic, you're listening, doing a lot, a lot of listening. Um, how do you then work with that person to, to get the, 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 the kind of answers crafted in a way that, that are fully formed for audio? Yeah, well, like I said earlier, you know, a lot of the time I feel like, you know, we're providing the space or a mirror for people to tell their own story. And, you know, it, it counts. It, it, there's this like often, often said thing in writing is that you have to like write write out the shit like you've just got a lot of shitty stories inside you and you just have to like do all that crap stuff before you get to the good stuff so what we let people talk it out you know they talk out the irrelevant stuff because people need to talk it out and and instead of being cutting people off which makes them feel like oh they don't care we will sit through and and talk through stuff that in the end may not be relevant to us and then what after that, when we're getting into the crux of the story, what I'm always trying to do is like help people write a true novel of their life. And so in my questions, which you're going to hear and kind of sounds like Oprah. And like, I, I just want to say that the questions that you think are going to be cut out of tape and the questions that you, uh, you know, might be included in an interview sound very different. different. <laughs> and I think it's important that often we do cut out our questions because it means that we're not trying to be broadcasters because people mirror your tone. So if you're sitting back and asking questions that you think are going to be cut off, you're relaxed, you're trying to like really connect with this person and they mirror that back. But if you do a broadcast interview where you, you take on a news that you think sounds like the news, um, you sorry, you take on a tone, then that person will mirror that. Um, so that's what I really love cutting out questions and I'm horrified that you have to hear this um, because it feels really touchy-feely but what we're often trying to do is like close in on that moment like in literary detail in a way that people wouldn't bother to tell you the first time around even though it's stored in their memory is like what did it smell like in there you know what what was that person wearing how did they like deal with their hair how did they move and we want to help them recreate that so that you feel that sensory connection to what is actually happening um so sorry don't judge me this is what i need to do to get the story uh, so this is oprah belinda um and uh often we only get the privilege of seeing oprah belinda but now you get to see oprah belinda too She's... so what did you say to them when you finally made your decision, what were the actual words that you said? Um, to a certain extent, they feel judged as well. Like they feel that somebody's going to be looking at their features. Can you, can you tell me in your, like, sorry to interrupt yeah, yeah, you, but like okay. from first person, like, yeah. can you describe the feeling, you know, of the nights you would leave and driving for that hour? I think I remember leaving. Take me back to that moment when you're at the shopping center and you're waiting for them to arrive. Like, what, what are you th you're thinking about? The way you look, you've got like a bit of the flutter. Can you take me through that feeling? Sure. I remember sitting at a table at a little cafe. And 
So one thing I did there was um, I said, uh, I interrupted her and said, oh, can you, can you take me back to the first person? Because something that people will often do is start generalizing, be like, well, like it's really bad when this happens. And it's like, yeah, but we, it happened to you. And, and if you feel safe, if you're okay with talking about this, or maybe it's a really funny thing, like, yeah, it happens generally, but I want to hear your story. Um, so it's always bringing it back to the first person, bringing it back to the first person and actually politely picking people up. Um, but yeah, we do that for a really long time. We do nine hours of like honing in on details and it was like, okay, but tell me what this looked like. And then when everyone's tired, you, you know, you reach your point. You reach your point yeah. of... Of when you've got your list and you've got a whole bunch of sentences you know haven't been closed off and you need to get those full stops and you need to get those apostrophes. Um, we did a story recently um, about uh, this kind of amazing, um, I guess kind of almost Tarantino-esque kidnapping ordeal in Colombia. The story actually came, um, was a someone who was kind of interested in podcasting, had started recording his brother um, on his iPhone, contacted Kate through AudioCraft, was like, hey, I've got this story, I kind of wanted this podcast, who do I talk to? Um, Kate very kindly was like, go talk to these people. Um, and then we kind of developed and ended up working with um, Ben, who was really great to kind of interview his brother um, and his mum. And, and it was over, I think kind of we did about three sessions there in Perth. And so we did about three sessions hooked up yeah, got to, I don't know, this is the end of the third session, been about seven hours in, in total. And um, Dave was an incredible um, storyteller. He went to uh, incredible detail, which is really useful. Um, but we had a laundry list of things we really needed to cover. And this is at the very end. We've got a very good rapport by this stage. And so you can do this. Um, here is also trying to be very specific and be quite comfortable getting full stops and commas. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is exactly it. basically what I've done because I've gone through and edited the interview, and there's just a couple of little, little things yeah. like that which just sort of will help me, help me kind of together. So yeah, I ended up spending seven, seven weeks in in Santa Barbara. But I don't think I've got a really nice beginning to that sentence. So probably something like, you know, my kidnappers said, my kidnappers have been through my cards and they said. I want to, I want to uh, get into that in, in literally in, in about, in about you know, thirty seconds in a minute. But I just need to close, <laughs> this up, close that thought, and then we'll, we'll jump into the perception. For sure. So is it possible to sort of in, in a sentence sort of, yeah, tell me how long did you intend to go to Colombia for and how long did you end up staying that very first trip oh the very first one oh yes yeah the I had intended to go for about two I'm days gonna, I'm just going to jump in here I've got I've got this stuff Dave yeah yeah so I just I just need a line that then and we, we drove off through the mountain and then we drove off so so then so David I just want um, you to, to really that moment <laughs> of stepping off the plane onto Perth you know, and arriving in Perth and seeing your mum and, and everyone there. Oh yeah, it was a big. So can uh, you start it? Can you start it with you know when I when yeah. I arrived in Perth? Yeah, sure. <laughs> not even worrying about that much detail. Oh. Just literally like you know. I'll, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, look, I arrived in Cartagena, and the captain Dennis said, "This will bring you." Oh, Dave, Dave, I've, Dave, I've, I've literally got, I've got all this stuff already. <laughs> so they're, they're, these things are literally just like um, one or two, like one line, couple of words. That we just, um, you could ask that of him, right? Yeah. Like, you knew this guy really well. You'd spent lit like It'd 10 been, hours and hours. Yeah, we, we'd been developing this story over a number of months. Um, we had a really good relationship. Um, ben, his brother, who we were working with as a kind of a co-producer, um, was in the studio with, with Dave. And um, both Dave and Ben were like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I go on, I go on, just cut me off, come in. And, and at different points, actually, before that... Um, as we went into this, Ben was like, oh, can I just clarify, Jesse, you mean, you know, specific. So it was kind of both Ben and I, ben and I doing that. And, um, but yeah, obviously that's cut up to, you know, with a bit of music behind it. But yeah, I guess it is, is showing in this format, which I guess is particularly where we're trying to take our voice out of it, this stuff is really, really key. Um, like I said, as we've still looked to have our voices in, we still apply the same technique. I guess it's that sense of going is you need your full stops um, and you've developed a really good relationship with, with your person. Um, you've been there for hours. You're at a point where you can ask that of them and um, it's often a dance, any kind of interview. But yeah, it's, um, if you don't get those punctuation marks when you're trying to edit together, it's, um, it's very hard. So yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and often it's going back to that scaffold document that you have and being like, yeah. I know these are probably the scenes, but I don't have a connecting line from him. And, I, you know, we want to stay out of it as much as we can. So we don't have that connecting line. So we ask him like 30 seconds, what happened from here to here? Yeah. Um, so we will, it, it requires um, goodwill and cooperation uh, with the person that you're working with. Yeah. 
and um, cutting your tape between interviews, obviously, because um, you'll have your list in the in situ, but also um, you'll hear at the beginning of that it was we'd actually already kind of scaffold scaffold a bunch of it, then cut a bunch of it. We knew where some of our holes were, or where we didn't have those quick, nice linking lines, and we already had um, the detail. We this was going to be talking about moments of. We'll play this the first clip with Jordan. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. That one. So this this was just very um, very quickly talking about. I guess our we're constantly trying to work out what is. What are the voices in this story? Um, any voices can go in the story, but they've got to be related to the story. Why um, do they merit being there? Exactly. You know, if it's one of our voices, um, why does it merit being there? If it's a, if it's a producer's, um, other producer's voice, why does it merit being there? If it's our host's voice, why does it merit being there? Um, this is an example of a story, um, one of our first episodes, about this woman kind of, I guess, detailing um, this kind of transformation around her own sexuality. Um, it was a topic that our host had a personal experience with, so it made total sense for us to, I guess, quickly um, find a way to acknowledge that and make it a little bit more personal. Um, we'll just play that first bit of this opening script of Jordan, and um, then we'll jump onto the, to the pitching and questions. I should warn you that there are descriptions of domestic violence in this story. It's about a transgender woman who grew up in the 70s in Townsville, the remote army town in North Queensland. Gosh, I can't even imagine how hard that would have been. I mean, I felt completely isolated being trans in the 90s in Sydney. With the internet. This is a story about running away, discovering yourself, finding a new family, and then rediscovering the family you started with. So a super, super sim- quick, quick snapshot of that is obviously always looking for moments of, you know, is there a moment of, of authenticity and connection between the person whose story it is and the person either presenting it or, or being in it. And we, um, we are out of it a lot ourselves. Um, a lot of our producers are out of it. Um, we have been playing a lot with what Jordan's role is in that. And I guess we keep coming back to it, you know, whose story is it? What voices? Why does it make sense? Um, we can go into more detail, but we've got time, so I'm going to skip through that point quickly and go into pitching, which is, a, I guess, um, a key point. I know some of this was covered um, previously. We just wanted to quickly show you an example of a good pitch um, and talk about what we want um, when we're seeing a pitch. Obviously, this relates to us, but I think it can translate a lot to, um, to other programs in terms of pitching. Yeah, so... I feel like people often see our pitching process or what we ask and be like, that's a little demanding. But what we try and set up with our producers, what we want them to understand is that we demand the same thing of ourselves. We we go through the motions and, and kind of do that research. So we often ask for quite an involved pitch that most likely involves a pre-interview beforehand with the main character at least so that you are able to isolate that scaffolding, those story beats what we like I often talk about it in scenes which sounds a bit wanky but it is like it's like a real life movie and that sceney talk helps you to isolate your your questions and also how you're going to sell this story to us um so yeah that's what we're looking for in a pitch I guess like a a beat by beat of how this story rolls down yeah and um we have a formal pitch process but we're also really happy to solicit it via email and this is an example of Claire Crofton a uh, story that we produced um, and this is her first contact with us it's not long um, it's, but it's enough for us to go that's a conversation we want to have um, right up front um, she's seeing how we are that's very nice <laughs> um, but you know that she, works well <laughs> she is very much identified she knows the program she's clearly listened she's identified a story that is going to fit the format yeah so listen to the program listen to the program a lot of pitches very clearly have not listened to the program we spend about 30 seconds on that pitch if you're lucky because we can tell in moments that one this one you haven't listened to this story is not going to fit and um please come back to us when you've done that research so that's really really key um i know that's come up a couple of times know who you're pitching to um and she just very quickly identifies her key character um you know there's a little tie back to kind of maybe why there's an australian kind of connection um he very quickly gives me a hook. It's like, hang on, he, Ron Fuhr was this Australian white nationalist, but actually one problem, he was a Jewish investigative journalist. Um, his name is Yaron Savoy. Now, that's going to get me on Skype um, finding out, wanting to find out more. 
Um, she then very quickly goes, here are some couple kind of, kind of, kind of beats. You know, here's the investigations. Um, he managed to do this, X, Y, Z. Um, and how I intend to edit the story is to leave listeners in suspense of the truth of his real identity and slowly reveal this as the amazing story unravels. I'd use sound design to enhance the interview and create something that is both playful, serious and surreal. So straight away she's already identifying, I've, I think there's a strong plot twist here, I want to hold that back. And it um, changed actually because we didn't it hold change. it back. Yeah, we then led with it. Yeah, so things can change. But One of the reasons was she um, wanted him to use an Australian accent and pretend to be Ron Fury and he refused and we tried about three times and he kept refusing so we had to, we had to change it. I don't reckon he could do a good accent. <laughs> I don't yeah. yeah, totally. And then a bit of back and forth is, you know, I kind of go back and forth, this sounds good, now can you please give us a bit more detail? Um, so then she's essentially got from us, yes, this outside idea she's done a bit of research about, we're kind of possibly interested in it. We've then said, here are some things I'd like you to interrogate further. She's gone and she's got on the phone, she's done a solo pre-interview and she's then broken it down to those scenes. Um... Uh, this actually we send out as an example in our recent pitch package. I'm pretty sure it's on the website. Um, if not, uh, it's very easy to... We'll put it up there. Um, we'll, it'll be up there or just contact us. We can, we can share it. Um, I think it is on the website, um, which you'll find through Radio National um, programs. This is about, um, is how you find it. Um, but yeah, just want a very quick snapshot of, you know, and at this point, at the end of this back and forth process, we're saying yes. And I guess that's us makers. We're willing to commit budget and resource at that point. Um, and we're also aware that it might change. And um, if it changes, we're going to be adaptable. Um, you know, we do kill things once it starts. And, you know, in our payments, we allow for that in terms of how we stagger payments. But I guess we, we, if we're going to commit resource to a story, we want to know there's some legs. And we do expect that um, people do some of that background. Um, but I guess right up top... We're also very open to you reaching out saying, here's the idea, um, here's why I think it's your program. And then if we go, no, thank you, you've saved your time. If we say there's something there, it's maybe another couple of hours, half a day of your work to try and dig into. But at that point, we give a pretty clear nay, no or, um, or yes. And, and at that point, we've committed, um, committed resource. Um, questions? questions? Hey, guys. Uh, Joel Carnegie. Um, I love I, how, like, from the first question of the first session, we've gone full yeah, like, no, press really? gallery where everyone's doing <laughs> the whole, like, you know. Joel Carnegie, the space yeah. company. Um, uh, regarding the, the all the pre-interviews that you're doing with generally the people that you're featuring within the show, um, because you're kind of intimately engaged with these people and you're often interviewing them in the pre-interview context, um, do you at all struggle with, or have you found situations where in the retelling it's not quite the same as what it was in the first Such a good question. Because, like, that is, for me, like, the total alarm bell that rings in terms of having to go back and, you know, rehash the same story over and over again that you might not necessarily get the freshness that you do in the first telling. Such a good question. Can I take this? Totally. With The Fixer, that was a... That's a... Like, that related exactly to that. So in the pre-interview, I uncovered that she'd been a victim of domestic violence and I have this thing where I'm like hold back you know like it's there like okay I know that story is there but I'm not going to ask her anything else about this on the phone I just need a little clue that that's where that scene's going to go so it's it's kind of a contradiction in that we say we interview very heavily because we want to kind of like scape the scene right but we don't want you to like get the microscope out in the pre-interview we just want to know the lay of the land and you always leave those details for the actual recording so that it's the freshest it can be but you've avoided finding yourself on a plane in a city with a whole bunch of time and you're like hang on this story doesn't go go anywhere so yeah it's so it's really striking that balance yeah like pre-interview is like a really big lay of the land but don't ask for the nitty-gritty the that those kind of novelistic you know literary details of someone's life until you've got a recorder on them and with a fixer we wouldn't have um followed that story if Belinda hadn't discovered that whole second back end in the pre-interview and how they connected crucially yeah yeah. Uh, the second question was going to you yep once you've um got seven hours of recorded material what's your process to delve into that and go through that totally um so we very rarely transcribe we've been talking recently about if that's worthwhile re-exploring but um uh, in terms of just from an efficiency point of view, we'll gently kind of just dump that in into um an audio montage uh, an edit session and everyone's a bit differently i personally like to um 
basically get a very rough assemble in a kind of very linear key way, which is very long and too long. And then um, I like to sort of have that as my backbone because that's a, a better than the raw tape, kind of that first filter through the raw tape. There's everything in the story kind of in a linear way. And then I think for me personally, that then second cut um, will start to try and do it, start, start to work on that structure. Um, very importantly, we um, will hand that edit session over to a colleague, um, either get them in to give notes, we get freshies in to give notes, but um, very crucially, like um, the Columbian story was a really good example. I, we got someone in to do that assemble, I've then done a whole bunch of stuff, it needed fresh ears for someone to take an absolute chainsaw to it, threw it to Belinda, she took an absolute chainsaw to it, threw it back. Um, I kept going, put some things back in and then kept going through it to someone else with some fresh ears. So, yeah, it's, it's a real mix of, in, I guess, ensuring that there's lots of fresh ears in that process, but that first step, um, just trying to make sure you've got all, all the stuff there. Yeah, there's lots of cooks in the kitchen, but everyone's handling... handling. Yeah. I, I'm not going to go there with that metaphor, it wasn't going to work. <laughs> it works well, it's fine. Hi, my name's Kate Golden. I have two questions. One is, you talked about how you tell people, you prepare people for a long interview, but what do you tell them about how much you're going to slice and dice their words? And the second question is, how do you approach fact-checking? Belinda, Belinda is living that at the moment. Timely. Um, um, so, <laughs> well, first question. The show is... Format-wise, is generally around 25 to 35 minutes. Um, so we point people back to the show. We say, this is, this is what this show does. We say, listen. We say, you can have a listen. Um, if they want to, to get a sense of who we are, um, we very clearly say, we, you know, editorially, um, we, you know, we don't compromise editorial by saying, um, you can listen or inform the cuts. We're very clear if that question comes up, that no, those final decisions are with us. However, we say in the process, there is no rush in that process. Um, we can stop for as long as you like. Um, I often sometimes will say, you know, and if there is a point where um, you need to take a break or we need to stop the recorder, that is fine. Um, you're, it's okay to do that. And so then we will do that and sometimes that will involve a little coach to then get them willing to then get back on tape and, and we'll do that. So I guess it is, it is both very clearly this is what the show is, um, being very clear about um, we're in no rush, that we're there, to, um, we want the story to be from them, um, we believe in their story um, and then reassuring and in the moment um, taking that balance about when they're opening up, gently pushing to allow them to open up if they're starting to close down and needing a break, um, being really clear to give to have a break, and um, yeah, it's sort of. And people often ask that question, like, mm. "How are you going to fit all this in twenty-five minutes?" Like, and and I just say, you know, you got to talk it out. I tell them, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I got to talk it out." And yeah. I, I mean, so far we we haven't. I guess because we spend so much time with that person it's unlikely that we'd misrepresent them because we have spent so much time with them. We know the intricacies of their story. We build it into our narrative arc. Like there's often mm. a second pivot. So um, we're not just getting a first read of someone. Like we're not doing a profile of someone after an hour's interview in a restaurant. We've taken the time. And so they're usually, they're okay with us condensing that to 25 minutes because we've taken the time to listen. Mm. And all that interrupting and, and recouching um, of the questions, that is... Um, built into the expectation when we're on the ground telling them, you know, say, look, we'll do this, but we'll, we'll probably ask you, we might ask you the same question different ways, we might ask you to hone in on something, we'll come back at the end and probably just get a few little things. So it's, it really is being very upfront about the whole process. We haven't had people come back and say, you've misrepresented us. Um, so far, for, on fact-checking, this is what you've been living the past couple of weeks. Yeah, so, I mean, we are predominantly a storytelling show, but I, I have this, like, inbuilt belief that it doesn't matter that we are storytelling. I think that we should be held to the same standards of um, accuracy and, and checking or as much as we can to a news report. So on several episodes, we have checked out the veracity of someone's story, particularly for the fixer, her accusations of domestic violence. Um, I asked to see police reports. We went back and looked at the court case where there had been, um, you know, a custody battle. Uh, I got. I spoke to other people that didn't appear in the story to verify her account. We spoke to a number of the women who she had donated eggs to, even though we might have included maybe like 10 seconds of their voice. Um, so 
because we are looking to get amazing stories that sometimes are out of like it's these normal people that have extraordinary stories we want to check out that that those stories are real so yeah we we often we will cause if they you know had another situation where it was like a pretty comical story but she mentioned this particular incident that seems so far out I asked to speak to the other person who lived in a different country um, to verify that account um, and um, any fact-checking sort of happens um not in the moment, it's kind of happening afterwards. Yeah. Um, we'd like to do more of it. We've been talking about putting it more into our production process, but we, yeah, that we have been applying that um, frequently to stories. Um, you mentioned the um, editing process a little bit. A lot of people talk about the group edit. Do you prefer the solo edit and then the notes, or do you do both? Uh, do both, depends on it. Um, do you mean like share, people sharing the edit or? Yeah, like, you know, they like um, whether it's Gimlet talking about it, This American Life, they always talk about the group edit and everyone's there. Like, oh, not they come. Ev- yeah. We do a lot of group listening and, I, and we talk a lot on, like we're always talking about the story and like even if you're doing the first edit and you're by yourself, you're kind of like, I, at least I do, I'm like, this is just this bit, you know, I'll interrupt people's workflows and stuff. So there's, there's this big meta and um, micro talk about the story and then certainly the group listens, we do. And because there's so much passing around, like you take the edit now, you take the third edit there's always yeah. fresh ears on it. And definitely something we had to evaluate when we then, the team started to scale a little bit. So it was really great. We, um, Jess Bineth, joined the team at the beginning of this year. And that then made us, um, which was awesome, that can get another set of ears. And then we started also increasingly working with more um, uh, colleagues and freelance producers and, in, and um, other ABC producers. That forced us to, there was a bit of kind of um, teething there because we were like all getting we were used all to going ears just on everything. To and fro with the yeah. two of us, but then it didn't make sense to have five people doing the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. in that point, we were really clear to be like, everybody needs to listen to this at some point and we need to be able to action those notes um, if possible, but we need to keep people's ears fresh um, because mm. as everyone is looped in, you lose perspective. Um, and so we, we fix that a little bit. So we very much go with the fresh ears approach where and at a scaffolding stage and then a, and an edit stage and then a fine cut mix stage. Uh, and different stories have uh, sometimes a story will not have the physical edit session passed around, um, but lots of those fresh ears other times will be sharing an edit session. Fresh um, ears are magical. Like sometimes I don't even want to talk that much about a story with a particular producer that I know is going to be listening later on because I don't want them to be clouded, their judgment to, to have preconceived ideas. I want super fresh. Yeah. Um, and, and it's amazing what you f- don't hear after a yeah. while. But yeah, so everything from right down to the copy and the name is group thought. And that's about just fresh eyes, fresh perspectives. Um, I'm real advocate for that. Um, everyone's got skills and different skills and some are better in certain sections than others, but everyone's got a really good and valid opinion because ultimately, um, you know, that's part of your audience and everyone listening to it has a valid opinion about whether it's good or bad mm-hmm. or how it could be better. And um, yeah, so we, we, we embrace it as much as possible. Um, you know, when you're interviewing people and it's a traumatic situation or say, say it's your last interview with them and you had to travel to it, and you know, you probably won't get back and you've got to get that little bit more. But the person, you can see their mental health is not going to go there. Then I stop. So stop. would you just stop. try and get that? Yeah, you stop. Would you just try and get that on the phone or I, would you just try no, and I do it? No, I just say it in script. Try and do it in script. Yeah, I'm not interested in... Um, yeah, yep. doing like you, that. Yeah, you, you, yep. you can go to a certain point, and um, you need to know when. To yeah, stop. well, I well I did yep. stop, but there's a pivotal yep. thing. But I think I'd have to script it now because yeah. I don't think I can ask her for any more. It's yeah. like if you have to weigh it up, it's just better to put in some script than to make yeah. someone feel like that. So yeah, yeah well, I, well, I did stop, but I'm I'm kicking myself. Did I do the wrong thing or? Oh or no, I right? think no. you did the right thing. No. I think the reason you know, particularly if you're into narrative storytelling, is because you genuinely care about you know people and their stories, mm. and and I think part of that care factor is something that I really like about this community. So yeah, I think you did the right thing. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We're gonna wrap up. <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks for downloading the Third Coast Pocket Conference. You can hear more sessions like the one we shared today on the Audiocraft podcast, or check out their website at audiocraft.com.au for more details. We'll be back soon with more Third Coast sessions and some surprises from Audiocraft soon, but until then, you can always check out our archive of conference audio at thirdcoastfestival.org or subscribe to our sister podcast, ReSound, for the best audio stories from around the world. Okay, speak soon. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.